Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis chapter 4 and 5, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, last week we saw the fall, the fall of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that God created. They fell into temptation. They sinned. They ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. And when they did, their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And they knew good and evil becoming just like God. It was that one part of Satan's deception that was actually truth. That they would know good and evil just like God does. And that's because up until they sinned, they didn't know what evil was. Because they were only good. They were perfect. And now, they know what it is because they've sinned. Because they've committed an act of evil. And after they sin, they cover themselves up. And they hide from God. He, of course, being God, finds them. And imagine, if you're in this situation a little bit, and I imagine many of you have seen, whether live or, you know, somewhere else, videos, you've seen pictures at some time or another where a parent finds the, the scene of the crime. Where, I mean, maybe it's a pet for some of you without kids, but, you know, parent finds a child or children who have done something terribly wrong. You get flour all over the house, right? You dump everything in the pantry out. You get paint all over the house. Paint all over themselves. They smear smearable food all over everything. They tear things apart. They destroy some thing or things. And the parents find them. And there's the question of, what did you do? And sometimes kids are very innocent with it. And maybe you've experienced this yourself. Sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of, well, I heard mommy and daddy talking and I just wanted to see what they were doing. So I walked through some fresh cement. Sometimes kids don't even realize that they did anything wrong because, well, I mean, why couldn't I play with this paint all by myself? Or, you know, why couldn't I fill an entire bathtub with bubbles? Sometimes kids are just mirroring what they see other people doing. You know, I was just trying to make myself look pretty like you. And sometimes when the question of what did you do, is asked, there is a response of guilt, of shame, because they know they did something wrong. And other times, there is no admittance of guilt, because, well, I don't know what happened. I didn't do anything. Even if they're holding the evidence... Or maybe they'll put the blame on their sibling, right? 
even though it was the sibling that is the one who is painted all over, right? And they don't have anything on themselves. Right? This is the same question that's asked of Adam and Eve as they are confronted by God. What did you do? What is this you have done? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And Adam and Eve, they have no admittance of guilt. They put the blame on everyone else. Right? It was the woman that you gave me. It was the serpent who deceived me and I ate. Today in Genesis chapter 4, we see that God confronts Cain, the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And before he does, we read about what brings God to that point. Cain is the one who worked the fields. He worked the ground. And his younger brother Abel, he took care of the flock, the sheep. And then we read that both Cain and Abel, they brought sacrifices to God. Cain from the fruit of the ground, and Abel from his flock. And in God's word, up to this point, we don't see offerings commanded anywhere. So they are both likely coming to God, thanking him for the crops, for the flock. This is a thank offering. But the Lord favored Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And this made Cain mad. Now, we might be sitting there saying, why? Why does God favor one sacrifice over the other? I mean, they both are bringing an offering to God. Isn't that good enough? And there's a couple things that we can look at to find out the why. It says that in the course of time, Cain brings his offering to God. This means that Cain brought his offering likely at the end of the harvest. Then it says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock to God. So it's possible that God favors Abel's sacrifice because Abel is bringing his first and his best to God, whereas Cain is not. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Cain is not bringing his best to God, but it does mean that he's not bringing his first fruits. And we do see, as early as Exodus, the command to bring the best of your first fruits of the ground to God. We also read in Exodus that God will be gracious to whom he will be gracious, and he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. And I think that the point that we can take away from this verse is that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter the amount of your good works. You cannot merit, earn God's grace or his favor by your actions. He will give grace wherever he pleases. And he will give mercy wherever he decides to give mercy. And we know that God is just and right and good and perfect. And sometimes we don't understand his ways and why he does what he does. Because we are not just and right and good and perfect.
And the last verse that we can turn to to better understand Cain and Abel is our New Testament reading from Hebrews, where we see that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel brought his sacrifice to God in faith. And that's why God accepted it. And this makes Cain angry. And God confronts him. However, it wasn't like Adam and Eve and God found him and he was looking at the scene of the crime and said, what did you do? Although that does come later. God saw Cain and it was like he had the paintbrush, the marker in his hand, but he hadn't actually done anything yet. But God knew that the potential was there. And so he says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He tells Cain to resist the temptation to take his anger out on his brother. And of course, that's exactly what Cain does. He resists the temptation and they live happily ever after. Or, you know, Cain and Abel go out in the field and Cain kills Abel. And this is where God confronts Cain after he has sinned. And this conversation very much follows the conversation with Adam and Eve. God calls to Adam. And God says, where are you? And Adam says, I hid myself. God then says, what have you done? Right? What did you do? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat from? Here, God said to Cain, not where are you, but where is Abel your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Adam, Eve, and Cain all cover up their sin. But since Cain is not naked like his parents, he's not covering up his nakedness and shame. He's covering up the evidence. And although it doesn't explicitly say, I think Cain buries the body. Or at least covers it up. He hides it in the hopes of no one finding out. Then again, at this point, there's only a few people on the earth, so it's going to be a little hard to hide it forever. But that's what he says. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? And then God says, what have you done? God being God knows what Cain has done. And he knows that Abel's blood cries out to him from the ground. As we saw in the fall in August, if you were here, we talked about Abel. And we talked about this Lenten hymn that says, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies. There was this vengeance that his blood cries out for, this punishment. Punishment is what Cain is given. Just like his parents. The ground that he works, just like Adam, will be cursed. And also he will be a criminal. And he will wander the earth. But in this moment, Cain, just like his parents, is given God's grace. He is giving something that he does not deserve. God protects him. God makes it so that 
no one will be able to take his life. God marks Cain, keeping him safe from his parents, you could imagine. Maybe any other siblings who are around at this time, or that will come along. Now, when you look at the story of Cain and Abel, I think most of us like to think that we're Abel. We're the ones who God favors. We're the ones who are good. We're the ones who give God our first fruits. But do we? Do we really give God our best? Or with the time that we have, do we spend it doing other things? Things that we think are more important. And, and then we get to the end of the day and the end of the week and well, we give God whatever we have left over. Do you give God your leftovers rather than your first fruits? And you say, hey, at least I'm bringing something, right? It shouldn't matter when or how much. Because what about all those people who bring nothing? We also like to think that we're able because sometimes we're the ones who feel wronged, right? We're the victims. We're the sibling that gets painted on. We're not the ones doing the painting. We are the ones that cry out for vengeance from the ground. We're the ones who are dead because our sibling has murdered us. However, that's not the reality for most of us, if not all of us. Because we're not Abel's. We're Cain's. We're the ones who get jealous. We're the ones who get angry when it appears that God shows favor to other people and not to us. We look at other people compared to our situation and we say, why are they so blessed when I am working so hard, if not harder than them? Why do they have everything when I have nothing? Why do they have an easy life and I am always struggling? Why, why, why? We're also Cain because we say, am I my brother's keeper? Do I actually have care and concern for my family, my friends, my neighbors, even people I don't know? Do I have their best interest in mind? Or do I do what's best for me, even if it's at their expense? Do I care about them more than I care about myself? No, I don't think that I do. I care about myself the most, and that's because, you know, I'm really the only person that matters. Because no one else is looking out for me, so I have to look out for myself. Finally, we're Cain's because we're murderers. Now, I don't think that most of us have actually killed our brother and buried him in the ground. But God's word tells us that even hatred towards our brother is murder. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We are sinners. We are murderers. And in our sin, just like Adam and even Cain, there's punishment. We deserve death. We do not deserve eternal life. We deserve a physical, earthly death that our bodies will perish on this earth. We also deserve eternal death 
condemnation, hell, forever being separated from God. That's what we deserve. But the lesson for us, which was the same lesson for Adam and Eve and Cain, is that God gives us his grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. And God gives us his grace wherever he pleases. And we see it most clearly in Jesus. He gives us his grace through his Son. God takes the vengeance, the punishment, the death that we deserve for our sins, and instead of pouring it out on us like he would be right in doing, God takes it and turns it on himself. His wrath is poured out on Jesus on the cross as he dies in our place in order to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil, in order to bring us forgiveness, in order to bring us life. That's because the second lesson for today is God values life. That's the other thing that we can take away from this story, that God values life. Today, many churches across the world are focusing on life because it can be a sanctity of human life Sunday. Adam and Eve deserved death. Instantaneous death, really. As soon as they ate it, they should have died. But they didn't get it. What they did get was the promise of a savior. Cain deserved to die for taking the life of his brother. He didn't get it. Cain didn't value his brother's life. There are many people, including ourselves, that want to place a certain value on individual lives. Maybe even rank life in order of importance. But every person is equally valuable and important. Because every person has been created by God. And God is the one who says that they are all equally valuable and important. That we are all worthy the same. From the tiniest baby in the womb to the oldest person living in a care home to the newborn baby to the person who is on their deathbed to the children in foster care to those who look after the children in foster care to the woman who chose abortion, to the woman who chose not to abort, to those with memory loss, to those with photographic memory, to those with disabilities, and even to those who seek to destroy the lives of others. God values all people. God values each and every one of you. You are valuable to him. Even if you don't think that you are worthy of God's grace and life and forgiveness, God says that you are. And he will give you grace wherever and whenever he pleases. And that is why Jesus rose from the dead. Because God values life. 
and gives you his grace in Christ because he wants you to have eternal life. And this is possible only by faith, which is also given to you by God's grace through the Holy Spirit. And then you can, in faith, present your offerings to God. And he will look on them with favor and he will accept them just like he did with Abel. But more than what you do for God, he will do for you as he continues to pour out his grace on you through his word, through the hearing of the word, through the words of his absolution in your baptism. And as you receive Christ's body and blood in his supper, God pours out his grace on you. And all of that is so that you would have the forgiveness of your sins and that you would have everlasting life through faith by God's grace. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.